two weeks as promised. <laughs> uh, it's been a good week. We had a lot of good feedback and good traffic from the last podcast and uh, and I just want to keep up the momentum and keep up the focus and the theme is is quite similar actually. Uh, just as a reminder what I'm really what what this podcast has really been and continues to be is um, my sharing my journey and my sharing uh, sources and insights, books and materials and experiences that I've found enlightening and that, I, that I'd like to share. That's largely what it's been. This week, uh, I guess maybe the last two episodes, I shared the links on LinkedIn. I'm not on any of the major social networks, so if any of you are comfortable with material and comfortable with sharing, please do. I joined Podchaser today, so hopefully that will broaden broaden my reach. But um, but it's definitely fun reaching reaching new people and uh, getting new traffic. 
Anyhow, today what I want to, I only have a couple of new sources to share, and uh, as promised, I'd like to spend most of my time and energy queuing up what is essentially an extremely gracious outrage rant from Dr. Taylor Marshall. So I've tacked that on at the end. It's a little less than 15 minutes, but it's so outstanding. I, I was unable to clip anything more of it down. So I'll keep my comments fairly short and just try and um, share the context of how I've come to TLM. Uh, I can't call myself a trad yet, but I've, but I'm heading quickly in that general direction. Absolutely, for sure. I really only have one new podcast source to share. I think I might have mentioned um, Nick Bryant last week, but uh, I happened to tune into maybe two of his episodes yesterday. And uh, he had a fantastic guest. Uh, I've never heard of this man, Brad Edwards, who was critical in the Epstein case. Um, he really tells a funny story of how he got pulled in, and it became his relentless pursuit. So his, his book is called Relentless Pursuit, uh, Defending the Epstein Victims. And they have a really candid and inf unbelievably illuminating conversation on on that whole situation. I haven't heard, I don't think I've heard a man on the inside telling his take, and he was heavily involved, I'd say maybe 10, 15 years. So, uh, I mean, he met, he met Epstein for coffee a few times because Epstein saw him as, as his biggest legal threat. But anyway, it's a fantastic um, podcast, and I'm sure the book is just as good. The other one that came to me uh, on Friday is called The Lobby. It might have been four years ago. It's essentially about the Israeli um, uh, influence in Washington. But it's really, I think it's incredibly illuminating as well. Because you can see, you can see the revolutionary spirit. Can you really call it that? Basically, you can see the energy. Highly intelligent, highly capable basically the high potential future Americans that are pulled into these organizations and working against uh, human rights, freedoms, etc. And so the, the, <clears throat> the main theme of the four episodes was around how they, um, the Israeli lobby, all of the covert steps they took to work against I forget what this campaign is called, but essentially, you know, boycotting campuses, boycotting uh, Israel, um, because Israel is a, is now an apartheid state. There, it's not equal human rights in Israel. So it was really quite incredible to see the tactics and methods and the best and brightest students of the future involved with working against human rights and working in favor of apartheid in Israel. It's really quite incredible. And the, I mean, they didn't get into the, the influence on the politicians was definitely there and highlighted in detail, but that wasn't the focus. The focus was really more about how the games they play on campuses and how they're going after just good, innocent people. Often they're Muslim groups on campuses trying to do the right thing for the right reasons and how these well-funded operations are smearing them essentially but usually covertly, 
So it was, it, I couldn't stop watching it. I watched all four episodes on Friday. <laughs> but uh, I recommend that, and the link is shared. Uh, last week, we, we touched on uh, women's original right to choose and a lot of the agendas and brainwashing at work against that, essentially. And then today, I, I wanted to get into how I've been drawn to the, to the Latin mass, but I'll just explain. I think the flip side is sometimes more useful, and that is when you see the negative, the, the positive looks much, makes a whole lot more sense. So to me, the best film, and I might have watched it twice in the last couple of years, is Brave New World. It's online. It's on YouTube. It's like three hours long. It's a TV, uh, TV movie uh, by BBC. I mean, it's, it's, the movie, it's the movie version of the book. To me, <laughs> it does such a fantastic job of spelling out completely what the whole agenda is that we've been living through. And so, you, you don't, a lot of people don't recognize the agendas when they bump into them. They just think, they just think that the, the world is modernizing. But when in fact, the, the agendas are moving so slowly, it's hard to see them as agendas sometimes. It just seems natural that my child came home from school today with blah, 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 blah. Um, and so I, I highly recommend that uh, BBC, I'll, I'll put the link on the, on the site, uh, BBC TV movie, Brave New World, and you can see the whole set. The, the agenda is essentially living indoors, living a tech, so there's some kind of a scare, there's some kind of a pandemic that makes them all live indoors and, and rely on technology rather than nature. So their existence is not with nature. They have like test tube babies and they have like uh, injection schedules and everything is tracked and traced and they really, really, really promote casual sex among everybody, everybody with everybody. It's just, if you're, if you're against that, you're considered not with it. And the biggest piece that you can really, really see today, I mean, I can see all these threads definitely now. Yeah, it was helpful to watch the movie, but um, the biggest one is Soma, S-O-M-A. It was just a, a, a pharmaceutical that's really easy to take, a drug that's easy to take that helps you come to grips with the unnatural, inhuman lifestyle that you're living. And to me, the best fit for that now is cannabis edibles, which, by the way, I, they've come in handy for me a few times for sleep aids and jet lag and other things. But a big part of Brave New World is getting people reliant on that so they can come to grips with how inhuman their whole existence is. And the other amazing part of, I found about that story was they had this guy, they just resisted the whole thing. He just wanted no part of it. He was just living out on the beach on his own. I think he had a, I can't remember exactly the story because he escaped. I think he had, I think he fell in love and he tried to get his girlfriend to go with him. I, I, something along those lines. Anyhow, and they try and make him look like the freak, the guy that wants to just live naturally in nature, for nature and peacefully, uh, traditionally, essentially. I, I would recommend that to be able to spot the agendas that we're living through. Uh, so just building on last week, a friend of mine, it's a traditional little small town not far away, said to me, 
something that I don't think she even fully realized how unbelievably um, true what she was saying was. But she said, uh, we really only have two circles here. We've got the church circle and we've got the circle the drain. <laughs> it took me a while to see it that way, but I and I didn't get involved with the church circle there either. I was getting involved in my own church circle somewhere else, but I still can't believe how incredibly true that is, how insightful that is. And I, 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 it's because of all these narratives and agendas, but they lead you, especially, I find in USA especially, the uh, materialism, atheism, money's everything, how your image looks is everything, your car, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, fear of missing out, like all this frantic, empty energy, essentially. Anyway, so all of that has probably helped push me along the lines to TLM. And I, um, I've gone there slowly, and it was really just a curiosity at first. So I went to, it was a local diocese. It's been since canceled in the diocese. I've shared the article on that. It's, the article is um, Helena Diocese Blocks TLM. It was magic, and I had people tell me it was magic, but I, I wasn't really expecting anything. And I went down there, it's a place called Columbia Falls, beautiful church, and they had one mass per weekend that was TLM. And so I decided to give it a shot. Well, I couldn't get over everything about it. So I, I mentioned the story last week that logging into my son's friend's funeral uh, online, I could see the priest um, saying the mass to the front of the church, to the crucifix, to the Eucharist. And I just thought that seemed something really right about that. The other flip side of this, by the way, is growing up in the Catholic system, and I had Catholic families, no one ever once in my entire upbringing ever mentioned the merits of the Mass before Vatican II. All we ever heard was like, yeah, can you believe it was in a foreign language and the priest had his back to you? They always said these things. So it was, you know, I'm not saying, you know, anybody I knew was in on it, but but it's all, brainwashing is going to come in a form of where only one side of the story is being told, basically. And it's taken me so long to realize this. Anyway, when I went to that Columbia Falls Mass, I was touched by the aesthetics of it, the whole thing, everything about it. Um, it, it were the deacons, the altar boys, the layout, the facing the front, the, the, even the way the, um, the tabernacle is laid out is different. And I can't remember exactly how much of it I was able to follow, but, um, but going actually up to Eucharist, and uh, and receiving it in the traditional way, which is on your knees, on your tongue, it was it was a spiritual experience. There's no question. It, it, something hit me, and it was also the the layout, like everything, the where where everything was when I had that moment. It was incredible. It was incredible, and I loved it. And but for whatever reason, I guess I I wasn't part of the community, and I so I just didn't I didn't pursue it exactly. Well, then when I went to go find it again and go back, then I saw the bishop had canceled it, which is unbelievable to me, uh, how the Catholic Church can be trying to block a traditional Mass. But anyway, so that's what got me to find the local SSPX, which is, which is a, an offshoot. It's not really part of the diocese, um, so they're not funded by, by Rome, I believe. 
um, but it's incredibly well done here anyway. And uh, so now I've had my third uh, experience and I'm still a complete rookie. I, I, need, I need to follow the, the whole thing much more closely. It, it just takes time and preparation. And it takes, for me, I, I, I need to get my head and space into it by getting there early, basically. <laughs> but I feel very, very lucky to have had this experience and I'm quite sure I'm, I'm going to continue to pursue it. So that's part of the reason I wanted to share all of this. So I'll just share a couple of other sources I've got on the podcast page, and then I'll just cue up the points that uh, Taylor Marshall makes here at the end. Archbishop Lefebvre, his video, he's French, but it's subtitled. His video I shared last week, and it's here again. But it's a really good counterpoint. It was, it was, it was his level of gracious outrage at the time, speaking out against the Vatican um, that were going against tradition in the Catholic Church. So that link is there. There's a film, there's an um, incredibly great film. Martin Sheen is in it. Uh, it's called Catholics. Um, it's set in Ireland. And it's showing sort of how Martin Sheen plays a guy from, the, from, the, um, from Rome that it comes and is trying to convince a traditional community to convert to the Novus Ordo. Uh, the new the new mass, and it's really really well done in showing. I think to me it shows how the masculine men, who who had a direct uh, connection with the Eucharist and with their worship, and how the Novus Ordo interfered with that and and was the beginning of losing a lot of traditional communities essentially. There's two documentaries about the Latin Mass that I found extremely informative. Uh, that link is there. They're extremely well done. Oh, there's one source I haven't I haven't mentioned I haven't mentioned David Whitehead. Um, I followed Unslaved way way back. I don't think I've mentioned Unslaved very much on this podcast. Uh, it's Michael Sarion and David Whitehead, and they're in Victoria. David's in Victoria. I think Michael might be in Seattle, but. They were really helpful to me for rabbit holes way back in the day, but I got away from them. I, I just wasn't sure. He's incredibly intelligent, Michael is, and his work is amazing, and David does a great job in bringing it all together. But I just wasn't sure that, that they were heading where I needed to head, essentially. But, um, but I've been following David Whitehead's Telegram chat, and it's been outstanding. So I just realized this past weekend that I, I really should share that because I... I use a lot and I get a lot of value out of that. So I've shared their podcast page and their Telegram chat. Michael Jones, I'm going to finish with, with a few words on E. Michael Jones. Um, but his Telegram chat has been booming lately. There's a very vibrant discussion on Logos Rising. Uh, so I shared, there's two links. There's one to his chat where it's just Michael sharing uh, news and tidbits and things. And then there's a, there's a group discussion chat. It's related. And Michael Jones has been doing weekly uh, Telegram videos on that channel, which has been really great. I, they, they get over 100 and very interactive uh, discussion. I'm sure it's going to get to be more than that. But um, I wanted to share those and share that. Uh, Gregorian Chants, that's what I led off with there at the beginning. Um, there's a whole story there that I don't. I only know little bits. They mention it in the Latin Mass documentaries above. 
but essentially uh, the Gregorian chants went away when the Latin Mass went away, which, I mean, how does that happen? But <laughs> largely. Anyway, uh, so I've, I've shared at the beginning the opening um, music there. That was a Gregorian chant. And at the end, I've shared sort of a modernized version of it. It's called Enigma, the Enigma Project. And that's at the very end, the end of the full song. If you hang in there, you'll get the Enigma Project Gregorian chant music. There's an article about one man's journey into TLM, but he's far more advanced than I am. And then there's the article about the Helena diocese blocking TLM. So those, those are the sources. So I'm just going to close off by basically uh, queuing up what you're going to hear from Taylor Marshall here by, by saying <laughs> this is one point. I mean, E. Michael Jones... First of all, he's not conspiratorial in the least. He, his research has been mainstream. But because of the homework he's done, the historical homework he's, he's done, um, he's able to see the agendas and the narratives for what they are very, very quickly. It might have taken him a little bit of time for the corona narrative to hit him, but, um, but not long. And he knows exactly where the sources are coming from. And so it's kind of amazing to me, that he is not, he's not yet fully on board with the TLM. I mean, he, he's been around in, in the Catholic Church for a long time, so he, he probably even knows Archbishop Lefebvre. He definitely was involved with some of the bishops from Archbishop Lefebvre, and he's been making a strong case that, that the TLM has been weaponized since Vatican II as divisive. And I'm sure, knowing him, that he's that there's a lot of merit to what he's saying there. But I just have to. So they were the video call for, with him last week, last Friday. Uh, it didn't happen for whatever reason. But I'm going to share the question I would like to pose to Dr. Jones, with respect. That I I think it seems extremely obvious to me at this point, and this is partly why I find myself so drawn to the traditional mass right now. Because everything, everything has gone to Brave New World, right? To, to Aldous Huxley, you could say. <laughs> and so tradition, anything with tradition, with family at the center, and tradition, and human values, and uh, traditional Christian values, you know, that is just, I think this is what we're all starving for. And a community that supports that, and philosophies, you know, basically life choices that support that. I, I, I expect Dr. Jones is going to come around, even though he's, he's done a lot of work lobbying for Nova, Novus Ordo. But I, I think um, he had a really good talk with Gemma. Her name's Gemma in Ireland. I can share that podcast as well. But, um, and she's experiencing it the same way. She's starting to connect the dots that the new mass and losing the masculine presence at the mass and losing a lot of traditional communities at the mass those are all those have all been connected if i could and i did start to i think i did share this this question uh earlier but it wasn't it was before he was doing the videos but anyway if i could share a, a question for dr jones in the hopes that i could get him to to consider the other side of the story here well, first of all, uh, you're not going to get a better foundation for a, all over the world 
people agreeing on the same values and the same philosophies in, a, in peace uh, than, than the traditional Latin mass. Uh, likewise, you'll never get a better mechanism for organizing a community of masculine men to organize in peace around uh, what are essentially human values and traditional values. Uh, so I think, I mean, right there, the Catholic Church should be leading on this. But Dr. Jones is also like the expert on seeing um, the World War II narratives, the American Empire, the Holocaust, Israel, those, all those narratives and agendas and how they, they draw a straight line to what we've all been going through here in the last couple of years, which is complete tyranny. I don't know how you can't see the Novus Ordo, which, by the way, translates to the wor words New Order, Mass, as an important piece of that agenda. I mean, it's clearly been a piece of it. If you want to help humanity get past these World War II narratives that we've been just hammered with most of my life, all of my life, really, I don't know how you can't see the traditional... Latin Mass as a, a mechanism to, to aid in that. There were, I mean, the way it was done. You, so you have to watch those documentaries to see how it was done. But it's really quite incredible. It, it, they they kind of let, I think it might have been Pope Paul VI. I think that might have been who it was. They kind of let him off the hook and, and put it all on the guy that was in between. That he was manipulating the Pope and he was manipulating the Council all at the same time. So he was telling the council that, that the Pope wishes this, and he's telling the Pope that the council has, has communed and have built consensus on this, like that he was really a manipulatrix. But the fact that there were Protestant consultants, I mean, everything about it, I mean, Vatican II, they, and Dr. Jones knows this well, that they were all about, let's not look in the past, let's not be negative, let's talk about modernization and positive, which is like, the first step towards the brave new world mentality. So I, I think that um, this Novus Ordo Mass is a bigger linchpin in the move towards brave new world than anyone has, has been able to convince the Catholics. Uh, finally, I'd say young men are lost and older men are lost. Everyone's lost. And I think that the TLM offers a direct connect to the Eucharist and to worship and to values and philosophies that we all uh, value traditionally. So that's, that's one point. But the other one is um, there were some prayers that were scrubbed from the liturgy. There's prayers about the Jews and pray for the Jews, pray for the sins of the Jews. These kinds of prayers that were actually scrubbed from the liturgy, again, showing the fingerprints of the agenda of probably Freemasons, uh, and Protestants involved with re-engineering that, that liturgy. So it's, it's, it's a perfect reset, in my mind, to pre-World War II mentality before all the brainwashing and agendas hit us in color TV. <laughs> um, so uh, this is where the outrage is coming from, from Dr. Marshall, so I'll hand it over to him. Um, but that's kind of been my experience, and, uh, and I'm really just, I had that magical experience in the diocese, 
and then I learned that the diocese canceled it, which is incredible. And I'm really just one toe in the water so far with the SSPX version, but I'm, I'm feeling very grateful that it's extremely accessible to me. So I wanted to share all of that and uh, hope everybody has a good week and uh, I'll take your feedback and we'll see you in probably a week or two. All right, take care. and as painful as it is, Logos is definitely rising. Why is there a complete reset in 1969-1970? And every pope before that in their liturgical books are swept away? Gone? Restricted? You can actually be punished in the Catholic Church? by using them and observing them? How is this possible? I mean, imagine going to our Eastern friends, Eastern Catholics, and saying, hey, you know what? We did a remix on the Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. You're going to love it. And from now on, you can never use that one that you've been using for 1,500 years. And like, well, no, 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 no. That's our liturgy. Like, yeah, I know that was your liturgy, but we did a remix on the divine liturgy and you have to use that now. That is now because I, as the Pope, am making a fiat statement. Let it be written, so let it be done. You can't use the liturgy you've always used. Now there's a new unique expression of the Eastern Rite churches and it's this liturgy that I'm handing you right now. And if you use the old one, you're going to get suspended and maybe deposed. Have a nice day. Welcome to my new Catholic Church. That's essentially, that is what is happening in the Roman Church, in the Roman Rite. The Roman Rite is as old or older than many of the Eastern Rites. People are going to want to debate me on that. But we find core quotations straight out of what we say in the Latin Mass, already in Pope Damasus, who's in the late 300s. St. Ambrose of Milan, same time period. It's there. It's happening. Then Francis says, the non-acceptance of the liturgical reform as also a superficial understanding of it distracts us from the obligation of finding responses to the questions that I come back to repeating. How can we grow in our capacity to live in full, in full the liturgical action? How do we continue to let ourselves be amazed at what happens in the celebration under our very eyes? We are in need of a serious and dynamic liturgical formation, end quote. Honestly, I want to gag when I read this. And the funny thing is, he says, Francis says, how do we continue to let ourselves be amazed at what happens at the celebration under our very eyes? Oh, yeah, we're amazed, Francis. We're amazed by the balloons. We're amazed by the priest who's holding up his guitar and giving everyone benediction with his guitar. We're amazed by the drum set. 
were amazed by the Eucharistic ministers and the short skirt and the high heels. Um, I could go on and on. We were amazed by the priest doing the little boogie dance in front of the altar. We're amazed when priests change the words of sacred scripture. Like instead of saying son of man, they go gender neutral and say son of human. We're amazed when priests actually change the words of the Eucharistic canon and never get punished. You say a Latin mass and someone finds out about it. Boom, you're called into the bishop's office. I heard about it last night. You make up your own Eucharistic prayer and remix, all that kind of stuff. Nobody cares. So yes, Francis, we are amazed at what happens in the Novus Ordo. Remember I showed the uh, video, was it last week, where they open up the mass in Chicago and they're playing cool in the gang. And it's like, celebrate good times. Come on. And then the lady leading the, uh, I guess it's a choir, but it's really a band. She's like, shake it in a church. And priest is getting his groove on, boogie action. Yeah. That is that the dynamism that unfolds through the liturgy? That cardinal soupage. Your best friend forever, Pope Francis, is implementing in his archdiocese. And what is this dynamism that unfolds through the liturgy? Dynamism. Dynamite. The liturgy, the priest says the black and does the red. The black is the text, the prayers, and red are the rubrics, hence the, the name rubric. How he holds his hands. Does he bow? Does he genuflect? Does he lift up? Does he make the sign of the cross? What does he do with his fingers? These are all the rubrics. As a layman, I don't want any jazz hands, dynamism, shake it, celebrate. I don't want any of that. I am there. I mean, we love you, Father. We support you, Father. We pray for you. But when I come to Mass, I don't want to go to the Jimmy Kimmel show and replace in the priest's name there. It's not your show. I just, I'm there for Jesus. I want to witness the Holy Sacrifice. If I'm in a state of grace and I've made the Eucharistic fast, I want to receive Holy Communion, hopefully worthily, and receive grace for another week to live in this valley of tears and to become a saint. That's what it's all about for me. So, Father, I don't want dynamism. I just want you to say the black and do the red. The holy sacrifice. It should be somber. And there should be a concern for the rubrics. See, he says that you don't want to fall into a preoccupation with the exterior. The weird thing is, is when you have balloon masses and clown masses and shake your, you know what, masses, there is a preoccupation with the exterior. The priest comes in and he starts making up his own stuff and blessing people with his guitar and shaking his, getting his groove on, on up on the altar. Suddenly we're all looking at our feet. We're all stepping on each other. And the interior intimacy that we are supposed to have with Jesus Christ has been obliterated and broken. And that's wrong. So Francis is saying that the old way is a preoccupation with the exterior, but I would argue it's the exact opposite. 
when you have priests clowning around, it's making everyone hyper-focused on the exterior and we're losing the interior connection with Jesus. Francis then says, then it is necessary to know how the Holy Spirit acts in every celebration. The art of celebrating must be in harmony with the action of the Spirit. Only in this way will it be free from the subjectivisms that are the fruit of individual taste dominating. That's exactly what the opposite of what happens in the Novus Ordo. Individual tastes do take over. Then he talks about we can't have the invasion of cultural elements. But I'll tell you what. There's all kinds of invasion, not just of cultural elements, but indigenous religion that's brought into the Novus Ordo. It's not just enculturation. It's syncretic syncretism invading into the liturgy. And if you're interested in symbolic language, Pope Francis, I would highly recommend the restoration of Latin. Wouldn't it solve the issue entirely if the priest turned around? What if we had it where the priest was talking to God, not to us? He wasn't entertaining us. He was performing the sacred sacrifice to God on our behalf. So if we just turned him around, suddenly the community is not conditioned, his word, by the way the pastor presides in assembly. I mean, wouldn't that be a good idea? I'm going to put that into the Pope Francis suggestion box. In order to conform to section 54 here in your new document, Pope Francis, I'm going to say, let's have that priest turn around at Orientum. Yes, the Grover t-shirts. I've often told the story. I'll say it again to the, to the new audience. Finally, see, I, be, I was an Episcopal priest. I became a Catholic. When I became a Catholic, I knew that the Latin Mass was out there, but I didn't have much experience with it. As an Episcopal priest, we actually had Mass with priest, deacon, subdeacon. Um, we had Dalmatic, we had Tunical, we had altar rails. So when I became a Catholic in the Novus Ordo, which was in 2006, I was like, man, these people believe in transubstantiation, but they act like Protestants. What's up with this? So it took me about four years to discover the traditional Latin Mass and start going to the Latin Mass and then join a Latin Mass parish, which is the fraternity of St. Peter for me. That was in 2010, 12 years ago for me. So I went through the journey, but one of the trigger points, the flashpoint for me to say, forget the Novus Ordo, I'm going to Latin Mass, this is it, I'm done. I was at the University of Dallas, that's where I got my PhD, it's a Catholic university. It has a church in the round, it's not attractive, that's no big secret. No offense to all the alumni and brothers and sisters from University of Dallas, but we can all admit, can't we, that the chapel, not attractive. They should make that into a playhouse or a music hall and build something more beautiful, my humble recommendation. Anyway, I was in there at Novus Ordo. I had walked out before because a Dominican priest was reading the gospel once and he made the entire lesson gender inclusive, including calling Jesus instead of son of man, son of human, and then instead of saying through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, he said through Christ, with Christ, in Christ. So everywhere there was a him in the liturgy, and by him I mean H-I-M or he, H-E, he changed it gender inclusive. That's what the old Dominican priest was doing. I walked out of that mass. It was the first mass I ever walked out of. 
This is young Taylor Marshall. I mean, I was a dad, probably had four or five kids, but I wasn't gray or anything. Later on, maybe a year or so later, I was going to mass and they had lay Eucharistic ministers. And I always did. I was always a, a line hopper, lane switcher, lane switcher. I was a lane switcher. And you go to the priest. Don't want to go to the lay person. And on the tongue. Even though I wasn't Latin Mass, I was like, I'm not going to use my hands. I'm going to receive on the tongue. Well, something happened where I couldn't get to the priest. I don't know why. So I was forced instead to be at a lay Eucharistic minister. In the chapel at University of Dallas, there's, it used to be, there's no religious art in there. There is a, there, they brought in a crucifix. Yeah, there was a small crucifix, what they called the steamroller crucifix. It was there. But otherwise, there was nothing religious in there. It was whitewashed. As a matter of fact, once I brought my firstborn son there the first time, and he said, Dad, why are we in a Protestant church? <laughs> From the mouth of babes. Anyway, I went up for communion. And the Eucharistic minister that I got pushed over to on that side was wearing a Grover t-shirt. You know, Grover from Sesame Street. I'm going to try to pull up the Grover shirt. People have memed it because I talk about it. Grover t-shirt. Oh, here it is. This is it, baby. You're going to love it. He was wearing this shirt. Take a moment to pull into the to the video. So I go for Holy Communion. There's There's not a statue of Mary... There's not a statue of St. Joseph, St. Michael, anything like that. I go up and the person is wearing this Grover t-shirt and says, the, the body of Christ. And I'm supposed to say, amen, and receive communion. And in that moment, I was like, this church is completely stripped of all religious art. It doesn't even look Catholic. My young son said, when he was there with me before, why are we in a Protestant church? And I'm staring into the eyes of Grover as I'm about to receive the second person of the most holy trinity. I'm about to receive God, the holy of holies, the thrice holy, the God of Israel, Lord Sabaoth, fully God, fully man, consubstantial with the Father, and I'm staring into the eyes of a grover body of Christ and I'm looking at Grover and I'm like this is it I'm done I'm done like the ridiculousness of the whole thing and all the years of frustration and the liturgical abuse and even just not even get to receive communion from a priest but receiving communion from a college student who meant well maybe they're in good faith I don't know staring into the eyes of Grover And that, my friends, is when I became a traditional Catholic. People are saying, poor Elmo. No, it wasn't Elmo. It was Grover. It was this exact t-shirt. This t-shirt is irrevocably and indelibly branded into my soul. Thank God the Catholic Church has cassocks, surpluses, investments. There's a reason for that. 
Otherwise, we would be receiving communion, looking into the eyes of Elmo and Big Bird and whatever else, ACDC or whatever T-shirt somebody wants to wear. So that is the story of how Taylor Marshall became a trad. Push yourself 